What is the real value of your estate? And who is this important beneficiary of your estate? Stay tuned. This is Thrive 1110 with Bold Care A of Bold Care Financial, guiding you toward business success and bringing clarity to personal finance. This is Thrive 1110. Welcome to Thrive 1110. This is the show where you get Bible-friendly, practical tips on business and money so you can thrive. And as you thrive, remember the Lord your God who gives you this ability to thrive and be an agent of transformation in your family, in your community, and in your city. I'm Bol Kere, I'm your host, and today we are going to continue on this subject of estate planning, which we started a few weeks ago. And I'm going to do a quick recap before we dive in into um, today's um, topic, today's subject per se. So a few weeks ago, I had um, a guest, Lorne Jackson, who is the president of CNCF, that is the Canadian National Christian Foundation, and also the president of Financial Discipleship Canada. So he came and um, spoke to us about the importance of having an estate plan and wills done properly. And he gave, he gave us tips for that. And then after long, we had Jim Wise, who is senior partner, um, leader to leaders at uh, Ron Blue Trust, Ron Blue Institute in the U.S., come and speak to us um, regarding the biblical principles that we can use when it comes to um, deciding which child is going to get what, and which charity is going to get what. In other words, he talked about inheritolatry, um, the idolatry of inheritance. And uh, we covered this subject, uh, tried to cover as much as we could in two shows. And I would invite you to go back and listen to these three shows. The one um, talking about estate planning, that was kind of an introduction with Lon Jackson with very um, helpful tips. Then inheritolatry with Jim Wise, talking about biblical principle uh, when it comes time to determine how you will actually distribute your assets among your beneficiaries. And today I'd like to uh, bring this question of the value of your estate. Um, and uh, as I talk about the value of your estate, I can't help but talk about this important beneficiary um, of your estate namely CRA, um, um, which is um, the tax money, if you, if you want to call it differently. Um, because uh, without knowing, we have this beneficiary um, for our estates without knowing. And I'll show you in a moment how it impacts our estate plans and the value of our estate. So today, I really want to have a, a conversation with you uh, in a form of, a, of an FAQ. Uh, FAQ simply means frequent, frequently asked questions. And um, I'll dive into some technical aspects. Um, it won't be too technical. I'll try to make it as simple as possible to give you some pointers in regards to how your estate could be taxed. Um, if you look at everything you have today, um, if you were to pass, how are those things going to be taxed? And what would be the real value of your estate beyond what you think it could be, uh, what, what could be the real value of your estate if you factor in 
that um, unsuspected beneficiary, which is uh, CRA. And um, yeah, so I'm going to pretend I'm talking with you and I can hear you ask me questions and I'm going to answer those questions in a very general way. So uh, just as a way of disclaimer, this is not intended to to be or represent any uh, financial advice or tax or legal advice, um, really not. It's just general information. As, as a matter of fact, I could be totally wrong. So here it is for a disclaimer uh, before I really dive into uh, some of these technical aspects. So we're going to start right away uh, as we tackle this uh, subject today with our Let's Get Practical section. Bold. Let's Get Practical. What happens with my house? If uh, uh, the house I'm living in uh, what happens to that um, in my estate? Well, that's um, uh, very simple. Again, this is general information. And um, normally, your house, so where you're living, uh, which is, in other words, can be called your primary residence, your principal residence, under current laws, is not taxable. Um, so if you, if you live there, it's your principal residence, when you pass, let's suppose you're married and you own this property jointly uh, with your spouse. And uh, that jointly here, there's a little nuance that, that I'll get back to in a moment. Um, and you own that house jointly with, with your spouse. When one of you passes, the house goes to the surviving, um, the house goes to the surviving spouse without having to go through the will. So that's the first thing you need to know. If you're married, and um, the house is um, owned jointly with your spouse, um, when you pass, it goes to the surviving spouse without having to go through the will. And that's because it is assumed, I'm just assuming that it is a joint tenancy. And that's where I want to make a distinction between um, different types of, um, of um, joint ownerships. So joint tenancy, which um, is also called uh, joint tenants with rights of survivorship is this state of joint tenancy where um, you co-owners, so you both own the property or there could be several, so more than two owners of the property. And um, when something happens, in this case, we're talking about death. When one of the, one of the, the joint owners passes, it goes to the surviving owners without having to go through their will. But in the second type of, uh, of uh, joint ownership, with, which is tenants in common, in that case, each owner um, really has a specified portion. And when one specific owner passes, um, their share of the property uh, goes through their will, has to go through their will. And remember here that uh, I'm talking about the personal house. Um, so if there's a house that is owned and it is owned under this particular type of joint ownership, which is uh, um, uh, tenants in common, then it means that each owner has their share. And when they pass, rather than their share going to the other owner without having to go through the will, it's rather having to go through the will. So the, the will will dictate what happens with that owner's share. So 
I don't want to get too technical there. I don't want to confuse you. So let me go back to um, the asset per se. So we were talking about the personal house. Um, and I was saying that if you are spouses, most likely this is joint tenancy, meaning joint tenants with right of survivorship. And when one, pa- one spouse passes, it goes automatically to the other spouse um, without going through the will. Now, when the last standing spouse passes, then it goes to your beneficiaries according to what is in your will. So your will will now dictate what happens with the house if you don't have any spouse. So if you're single, um, if you're the last standing spouse and you pass, what happens with your house will be dictated by what is in your will. There's no tax. Um, um, There's no income tax per se for your estate and your beneficiaries receiving um, either the house physically or the proceeds of the sale of sales of the house will not be taxed uh, with what um, they receive, but um, you have to have a will. Otherwise, it will follow the laws of the province uh, of when somebody passes without a valid will, which you don't want to happen. So make sure that you have a valid will and that you specify what you want happening with your house um, when you pass. So that's for the personal house. Now, you'll say, well, Bold, what happens if I have a rental property or a cottage or something like that? So another property that is not my personal residence, my primary residence. So what happens with those properties is that they are subject to some taxes for the estate, not for the people who are receiving them or the proceeds of their sale, um, but they are subject. They, these things are subject to taxes on your estate because obviously, when you pass, there'll be a final tax return. And if you own a rental property or secondary residence or cottage, this will apply. Um, oh, side note: If you're listening to me from the province of Quebec, there are quite some different rules when it comes to estate planning. And um, in general terms here, I'm addressing Ontario and the rest of Canada more than Quebec. So uh, don't assume that the general information that I'm giving here applies to Quebec. If you want to know more specifics about Quebec, just reach out to me. Um, And even if you're in Ontario or in another province and you're listening to this and you want to have more specifics regarding your your, um, particular situation, reach out to me, uh, bold at thrive1110.com or go to um, thrive1110.ca website and uh, send me a message from there so that we can start a conversation that way. So I was saying that the secondary property, meaning a property where you're not living, maybe you're renting or it's a cottage, etc., there is a tax. And uh, um, that tax is applied on 50% of your capital gain. So let's assume that when you bought that secondary property or maybe you didn't buy it, you inherited it, you inherited a family cottage, um, it doesn't really matter. When you became the owner of that secondary property, there was a value attached to it. And uh, on top of that value attached to it when you received it, you may have done significant renovations, etc. 
So you add all of that together and it gives you what is called the adjusted cost base. It's a technical term that you don't need to worry much about. It's called the adjusted cost base. So, um, but over time, this property most likely grew in value, especially these past uh, years um, in the pandemic. And uh, now let's assume that your adjusted cost base is 300000 And now, if you were to sell this property today, it would be appraised at 500000 There's a growth of 200000 in there. And that growth of 200000 is what is called your capital gain. So the current law say that 50% of your capital gain is taxable. In other words, in this case here, your capital gain being 200,000, half of that, so 50%, would be 100,000. So you'd be liable um, for um, including, like, responsible for including that, uh, I mean, said, or maybe I should say your executor would need to include that extra income from your capital gains. Uh, in your um, your final tax return, and it will be taxed as as such. Uh, so you need to be aware of that, especially if there's not much cash in the estate. And let's say you want to give the cottage to to family members, your children, etc. And um, over time, there has been a significant increase in value of that cottage from the time you bought it from uh, to the time you you passed, well, most likely there will be taxes to be paid. And if there's not enough money in the estate elsewhere to pay for that, it means that the cottage or that rental property will have to be sold um, so that the tax can be paid and then the rest can be distributed to your um, beneficiaries. So you have to be mindful of that. Again, there's too much to say, and I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty details. I just want to give you a high, very high-level sense of what your estate could be looking like and what the tax impact could be. Uh, so that was for a rental and, um, and, uh, and cottage or any secondary property that you have, which is not your personal uh, residence. And just another quick side note for the personal residence, I said that there's no tax, but actually, um, depending on the acreage that you have on the property, there could be tax on the part of, uh, of your property that is beyond a given number of acreage. So let's say you have your house and, um, and your house sits on 1.25 acres. Uh, you could be fine, but if you have, let's say, 10 acres, uh, you could be asked to pay some sort of tax um, with the property that exceeds that 1.25 acres. I'm just making this um, uh, example here to show that even with the principal residence, depending on the situation, there might be some tax. Again, that's why I'm saying this is very high-level general information, and, um, and uh, it's not to be taken as personal financial advice or tax advice or legal advice because your case may require something, um, other considerations. 
Now, I talked about personal house. I talked about the rental. And by the way, the rental works the same uh, for joint ownership. If you are joint tenants, meaning joint um, joint owners with right of survivorship, when one of the owners passes, it goes to the surviving owners without having to go through the will. But then, um, at the last standing, after the last standing owner passes, then it's his will or her will that will di- dictate what happens with um, that property. And uh, the same goes if it is um, uh, tenants in common, then. Uh, when one owner passes, their share or their portion would have to go through uh, their will. It won't automatically go to the remaining, um, the surviving owners. It um, it will have to go through their will. And that's important um, because imagine that you are siblings and all together you are owning a family cottage. But that's not where you're living. So you're owning a family cottage. And uh, the way it was registered um, on the deeds, it's um, under tenants in common. So when you pass or when any of the owners pass, their share doesn't automatically go to the other siblings. But it rather goes to whoever are the beneficiaries in their will. Therefore, in this case where you are siblings owning a property under tenants in common, uh, when one passes, you can end up being co-owners with a, a whole bunch of people that you may not even know because uh, the owner that passed, well, their share goes through their will. So these are things that you really want to double check and make sure that um, your estate plan is properly done so that you don't end up with surprises or your beneficiaries or heirs and family members don't end up with surprises after you're gone. Um, All right. So I talked about properties, um, real estate. So that's really a high level. Let me quickly move on to life insurance. Now, you have life insurance, and uh, you know when um, you have these life insurance policies, they ask you to name beneficiaries in these policies. And it can happen that maybe you named estate. And you'll say, well, Bold, I named my estate as the beneficiary of my life insurance policy. Is there a problem with that? Maybe, maybe not. That would be my answer. It depends on what your intentions are. Um, generally speaking, I would um, think that actually naming beneficiaries in a life insurance policy would be preferred to just naming the estate. And the reason is that when you name the beneficiaries directly, let's say you want your your husband or your wife or your children or this other family member, etc., to receive the proceeds of your life insurance, uh, it's better to name them directly in your policy. Um, because what happens is after you've passed, the process is much smoother from the life insurance perspective and the proceeds are given to those beneficiaries faster than if you had named the estate, um, in which case everything reverts back to your will because the proceeds of the life insurance would come back to your will 
and then your will would dictate what happens with those proceeds. So that would make for a longer, uh, potentially more painful process, especially if the proceeds of the life insurance were to deal with urgent situations in um, your beneficiary's life in case you had passed. Um, If you write a state in there, it can make things much more complicated. First, the proceeds of the life insurance would have to go through the probate process. And I will cover that um, in another um, episode, but that process can take months before it's done and sometimes even years depending on um, your situation. So that means that the proceeds of your life insurance would be kind of uh, frozen uh, and nothing can be done with it before the entire probate process, which can take months or even years in some cases, is completed. You don't want that. So you want to really consider naming, actually naming beneficiaries in your life insurance. And you can even name charities. You can even name foundations in a life insurance policy if you wanted to donate something to charity. You can actually name that charity and uh, include their uh, registration number, their charitable registration number in um, that policy so that it goes directly to them without having to go through your probate, um, to the probate process and uh, then your will. I know I'm giving you lots of information and I, and I don't want you to get bored with, uh, with some of these technical things, but I, I really sensed um, to give you some high-level information regarding the potential um, consequences um, of how your things are structured, uh, the potential tax consequences, the potential complications that there could be if things are not carefully planned out and written in your will um, as a result of a proper estate planning. So we covered personal house, um, secondary property like a rental property, a family cottage or another secondary residence, etc. Just um, talked about life insurance. And the other thing that I'll um, talk about before we end um, the episode today is Uh, your tax-free savings account. So as its name suggests, while you're living, there's no tax when um, you invest money inside a a, a tax-free savings account, meaning there's no tax uh, while the money is in the account, but there's no tax when you take money out of the account, which is um, different from an RRSP. So what happens when you pass uh, with your TFSA? is that, again, just as in the case of a life insurance policy, if you're in Ontario, you can name beneficiaries directly inside your TFSA, your tax-free savings account. You can name beneficiaries inside that account. In Quebec, it doesn't apply. But in Ontario, the rest of Canada, you can do that. And... um, if you do that, um, it, that means when you pass, the proceeds of your TFSA would go to those named beneficiaries directly without having to go through your will. So it'll be 
given to whoever are the named beneficiaries. And that way, make the process more direct, much faster. Uh, rather than if you named the estate as the beneficiary, in which case it will have to go back to your will, and uh, which means the probate process would have to apply with, with all its consequences. For one, the time that it takes, uh, I said months, um, and it could even be years. And um, there are other consequences with the probate process that I'll, I will be able to touch in another episode. But um, yeah, just to let you know that it's generally preferable to name beneficiaries inside your TFSA. And just as I said, um, for the life insurance, you can actually name a charity or charities as beneficiaries also inside your TFSA. So um, one little um, tip there is that if you are married, instead of naming your husband or your wife as beneficiary in your TFSA, you can actually have them be the successor, sorry, the successor account holder of your um, of your TFSA. That will actually have a positive um, consequence on uh, their own TFSA because you know the TFSA has limitations. You can only put in so much in the TFSA every year, and even though um, your unused TFSA contribution room um, gets accumulated over time, you can run out of room in your TFSA. And in order to preserve that room uh, for your spouse, it's often better to name them not as beneficiary of your TFSA, but as a successor account holder of your TFSA. Um, it could help with their uh, financial planning. So um, these are very high-level information that I wanted to give you today regarding primary residence, secondary residence, life insurance, and TFSA. And in the next episode, I'm going to tackle other aspects like RRSPs or if you have stocks, uh, non-registered investments, if you have private, um, um, sorry, if you have stocks or non-registered investments in your company, uh, in your operating company or your holding company, um, what could you do, etc. So I'm going to touch on those subjects in another episode um, to give you a fuller general view of what your estate value actually could look like and um, what you could do potentially to minimize impact of tax on it. So we're getting towards the end of this episode today. If you have questions, um, don't hesitate to send them over. And before we end, I just want to, bro to bring to your attention this um, one-of-a-kind series of workshops that I'm putting together. It actually starts on February um, the 5th, um, and um, it's called Story-Based Productivity. The early bird is ended, so now if you want to do that, all you can do is go to storybasedproductivity.com and you'll get all the details there. As always, you can go back and listen to previous episodes of Thrive 1110 on chri.ca or on going to the website thrive1110.ca. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
My name is Bol Kere, your host, and this is Thrive 1110. See you next week. When honest people prosper, the whole city celebrates. Thrive 1110. To learn more or to connect with Bold, go to thrive1110.ca.